the midst of a series where we are talking about what it means to be a body, what it means to be a local church, and in particular, what it means for you to be a member in a local body, member of the body of Christ, uh, members as in hands, feet, tongues, ears, nose, and so forth. Romans chapter 12 says, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And today, so as we're, as we're making our way through this series, we're looking at our church covenant statement, and it has a whole bunch, a series of statements as part of the larger statement that begin with the, the words, we will. And this is commitment that we make to one another in the presence of God that we're committed to these things. All of it taken from scripture. We have no interest in trying to reinvent the wheel. Jesus knows what he's doing and we're glad to leave the church in his hands. He will be faithful to build it. We just want to live under his lordship and cooperate with him. So we come to this statement we're gonna look at today. And it says, it's this. We will earnestly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not quenching his work among us, We will strive to exercise the gifts in a way that emphasizes the way of love and builds up the church most. This is what we're going to talk about today. Somebody said amen back there. All right, yeah. So we're going to, you know, Paul, I was, as I was approaching this passage or this this message, I thought, gosh, do I take 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 (laughs) in one sermon? Um, that seemed like a lot to, to bite off. Um, so I, I thought this passage, I felt like the Spirit directed me to this passage, 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11. And here's the big idea from this passage. I, I think this really encapsulates all that we want to be committed to as a body in terms of spiritual gifts. Here's the big idea from 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11. Each spirit-born saint has been given a gift of grace in order to give it away to others so that the church gets the blessing and God gets the glory. Let me say that again. Each spirit-born saint, okay? Spirit-born, someone who's been born of the Spirit, someone who has new life in Christ. Each spirit-born saint, that's not some super class of Christians, we are called by Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, saints by virtue of Christ's work on our behalf. So each spirit-born saint has been given a gift of grace in order to give it away. In order to give it. It's not, it doesn't stay with us. It doesn't end on us. In order to give it away so that the church gets the blessing and God gets the glory. But I want you to see, that's, that's what I, I think these two verses communicate, but I want you to see it in the text. I want you to see it right here. You see, my words, even my, what I think are good ideas, and even if you think it's a good idea, my words don't have the power to transform you. My words don't have, I don't have the authority to bind you to my good ideas. God's word has the power to transform. And... Because God is God, he is the Lord of the universe, he has the authority to bind us to his word. In other words, when he commands us to do something, if we say, no, I don't think so, 
We just need to understand who we're thumbing our nose at. He can bind us to his word. So, I want you to see from this text, from these two verses, that this is what's being communicated. Each spirit-born saint has been given a gift of grace in order to give it away so that the church, right, the church, you and I, gets the blessing of that gift of grace and God gets the glory. So let's dig in. Let's dive in. First, notice Peter assumes that every Christian is gifted. Peter assumes that every Christian is gifted in some way. This is an extremely important point I think you and I need to see and feel the weight of and know in the core of our being that if you are in Christ, If you are spirit-born, then this is talking to you. So we see this in the opening phrase, verse 10. As each one has received a gift. Peter does not say, if you have a gift. Peter doesn't say, as each spiritual superstar has a gift. It's okay, I'm fine. It doesn't bother me. Um, He doesn't say when you get a gift as a Christian. He says, as each one has received a gift. The assumption is that every person in Christ, born of the Spirit, is gifted in some way. And for good reason. Because every true Christian is a person in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Every genuine Christian, let this land on you, okay? We were sitting with the youth group about two months back, and we're, I think we were going through the book of Galatians at the time, and we were talking about this, what it means to be spirit-born. That is, someone is born again by the Spirit. There's something more and deeper that happened than you praying a sinner's prayer. Don't get me, I'm not saying people don't get saved that way. They, They do, no doubt. But every genuine Christian has God, the Holy Spirit, living in them. Though Peter doesn't explicitly refer to the Holy Spirit here, we know, of course, the apostolic testimony of Peter and Paul is totally consistent. Okay? Peter doesn't have one idea about what spiritual gifts is, and Paul has something else. It's the same divine author, so they're in total agreement. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, as each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's talking about spiritual gifts. So each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To each is given. The Holy Spirit confirms through Paul that each spirit-born person is gifted. So let's go back, 1 Peter 4. The word that sa- where it says each has received a gift is indefinite, so it probably should be read as each has been given at least one gift. I don't think it's saying everyone has one and only one gift and that's all you get your whole life. If you think you know how God has gifted you, this does not preclude you from asking and seeking God that he would grant you additional abilities and gifts in order to bless others. In fact, Paul urges the church at Corinth that had presumably all the gifts in operation, working in the church. There was things Paul had to correct, no doubt. But he said to them, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. This was a church that needed correction in the usage of them, 
but he says earnestly desire them. He exhorts them to earnestly desire in 1 Corinthians 14.1, the gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, because that's a gift that in particular builds up intelligible words, builds up the most. He urges those who had received the gift of speaking in tongues. He says, if you speak in tongues, pray that you may receive another gift, the gift to interpret. So I don't think Peter's saying you have one gift, that's it, forever. As each has received a gift or has received at least a gift, so though we don't want to be presumptuous when it comes to spiritual gifts, and I think that, that there's, there's a need for us to understand we don't want to be presumptuous and just say we can have whatever gift, just claim them all and just pretend you have them or whatever. Okay, we don't want to do that. We also don't want to wrongfully limit how God may want to empower us for the benefit and blessing of his church, of his people, of his dear people that he loves to bless. Each one has received a, at least one gift. And I think this is important to press upon us. If you are spirit-born and part of the fellowship, you have been empowered by the Spirit. You've been given an empowerment of the Spirit called a gift. During the time of the Reformation, one of the truths that was rediscovered, although I don't think Luther or Calvin or any of them use this language. But one of the truths that was discovered is what was called afterwards the priesthood of all believers. The idea that in Christ, every believer is, they share in Christ, right? They share in the fullness that is in Christ. And, and each believer is a priest to God, offering sacrifices of praise to him. We, we just did that together is God loves our praises. That part of the song that says day and night, night and day, let incense arise. That's our praises and prayers, night and day being lifted to God. So we are priests to God, offering praise to him. 1 Peter 2 says we are, every Christian is part of a chosen race and a royal priesthood. We're also priests in our ministry of the grace of God to one another. We minister to one another in the strength of God. In a, in a sense, we bring God's grace to each other. And that's what we see in our text. This, of course, was over against the medieval Roman Catholic teaching that taught that there was a hierarchy, the priestly class, the pope, and the cardinals, and the bishops, and the local priests, and monks, and nuns, and so forth. And then there was all the rest of the schlubs, you know, that didn't have anything to do except just, you know, receive from those people. Luther denied the validity of that whole, that whole deal. He said the following. He said, it is pure invention, that pope, bishops, priests, and monks are to be called the spiritual estate, while princes, lords, artisans, and farmers are the temporal state. On the contrary, all Christians are truly of the spiritual state, or excuse me, spiritual estate. And there is among them no difference at all but that of office. So we have different callings, different giftings, but we are all part of the spiritual estate. No doubt, there are farmers and artisans and computer programmers and stay-at-home moms and construction workers and so forth. And there are pastors and preachers and evangelists and missionaries and worship leaders. 
But every Christian is part of the spiritual estate. And therefore, every Christian is gifted. Peter says, as each one has received a gift. So, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you been born again? Notice I'm not asking if you remember the time you prayed a sinner's prayer. Have you been born again? Does the Spirit of Christ dwell in you? Then you too have been gifted. But next, notice what a gift is. And we kind of, I kind of touched on this a bit. But notice what a gift is. It says in verse 10 again, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. These gifts are grace gifts or gifts of grace. The word gift comes from the Greek word charisma. The word grace I mean, the word gift comes from charisma. The word grace comes from the Greek word charis or charis. So the word gift is derived from the root word of grace. It's part of the same word grouping. In other words, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are gifts of God's boundless grace. They are given by God's grace. They're not owed to us. We dare not demand them. We dare not say, God, you must, or God, give me this. They're not owed to us. We don't demand them. They are given freely, not because we deserve them, not because we merit them, but because God is kind and generous to his people. And I think that's a good, healthy way for us to understand. God is generous in giving his gifts to his people for the benefit of his people. Remember when Jesus, when he was teaching on prayer, he said the following. He said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. You guys know what comes next? How much more will your father give what is good to those who ask? I'm jumping ahead a bit, but that's, that's a good application, isn't it? We should ask. We should ask for these good things for, for yourself and for others that this church would be the recipients of this great blessing. And as Tim prayed earlier, that those that we rub shoulders with at work or over coffee or in the grocery store too would receive or be benefited or blessed by the gifting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's God and his wisdom He's the one who gives to each as he decides. That's what Paul says. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, again, I think it's verse 13, he says the Spirit gives to each as he wills. And it's not because he's stingy, it's because he's wise. It's because he knows. He knows what we need. He knows how we're gonna, he knows how he can bless others the most through us. So they are gifts of grace. They're not gifts given, they're not given as a wage. Like we work for it and then God owes us, right? If you work for an employer, they and you really work 40 hours, they owe you something. It's not like that. They're gifts of grace. They're given to each as grace, and they're to be used to spread God's grace. 
I think this is clear because we're told that when we use gifts faithfully, verse 10 says we are good stewards of God's grace. Right? Do you guys see that? We're good stewards of God's very grace when we use them the way that they're intended to be used. A steward is like a manager or an administrator of an estate or a household. A steward or a manager of a household manages the the receipts and the expenses of the household that the owners place them in charge of. And so here's the picture that we have. I think this is a beautiful picture. I'm borrowing this from John Piper, but I think it's such a helpful way to think about this. You and I are called managers in God's house. God's house is his church. We're managers of the riches of God's grace and we're charged with dispensing his gifts, his grace to those in the household. This, in my mind, is the outcome of the Holy Spirit coming in fullness into our lives and the life and grace of God, that the life and grace of God might be spread through us to others. Remember when Jesus said in John 7, it was the last day of the feast, and Jesus stood up and he cried out with a loud voice and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then there's just a little explanatory note after that. It says, this he said of the Spirit, who had not yet been given because Christ had not yet been glorified. So Jesus was talking, looking forward to when the Spirit would be poured out and all of his people would receive the Holy Spirit upon faith in Christ. And what comes out of our hearts? Rivers of living water. It's the presence and the person, the power, the grace of the Holy Spirit coming out of our hearts as rivers for the purpose of what? Blessing others. Right? Blessing others. Of course, in different ways, as each is different people. Each has different function, a different function in the church. These gifts of the Spirit are described as God's varied grace. I think it's very unhealthy for a church to say, we are, and then they say, this kind of church. And everyone has to kind of fit into that mold. It's God's varied grace. I mean, of course, there's non-negotiables. We should say we are, a true, we are a church that stands on God's word for sure, right? But, but I do find it disheartening when some, get, when some emphasize only certain gifts, and that is the kind of church they are. It's God's varied grace. Varied means many-faceted, having many different aspects, different kinds. Just as Joseph's coat, remember the, the coat Joseph's father gave him, was multicolored, was varied colored. And all these different colors, when put together in this coat, made it beautiful and wonderful. His brothers hated him for it, but you know, you know it made the coat beautiful. In the same way, God's varied grace given to each one of us through the Holy Spirit is meant to, when put together, it's meant to be something beautiful. The 
all these gifts, all these varied gifts, all these, these, this varied grace, they come for, it all comes from the same God, of course. It doesn't come from a different God. Not like those that maybe have a gift of healing and those that have the gift of administration and those that have a gift of mercy and those that have a, pr- a gift of prophecy or so forth. It's not like there's, like, like the God of the, you know, sign gifts and the God of the other gifts. It's not the way that it works. They're all, they're all given from the same God. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The gifts are gifts of God's varied grace. Next, notice what the gifts are for. And again, I've touched on this. There's, been, there's overlap, no doubt. But notice what the gifts are for. Verse 10, again, as each has received, received a gift, use it to serve one another. The point is, and this is Paul's point too, by the way, not surprisingly, is that the gifts are to be used primarily for the benefit of the body of Christ. Of course, when outsiders come in and Paul says, and they hear someone prophesying or others prophesying and their secrets are exposed, they might fall down on their face and say, surely God is here among you. We should pray for that too. But the point is that we're to use them to serve one another. It's that phrase again, one another. All the one another passages in the Bible that show us what life together in the body of Christ is meant to look like. The New American Standard says, as each has received a gift, employ it in serving one another. I love that phrase, employ it, put it to work. In serving one another. The gift, whatever gift you may have or giftings you may have are utterly pointless unless used. That's the whole point. The reason God gives uh, gifts of grace is so that they are used for the benefit of others. Peter says a good steward is one who, in fact, employs the gift they've received to serve others. So a bad steward would be someone who is self-serving in their gift. It's about them, not about serving others. A bad steward would be someone who, whether because of timidity or unbelief or just straight-up laziness, won't use their gift to serve others. That would be a bad steward of God's grace. This is a command, too. Do you guys hear that? As each has received a gift, use it. The Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, wants his body built up. And so he says, have you received the gift? Then get up and use it. Use it to serve others. Use it to be a blessing. Use it to spread the grace of God to those around you. This is not an option. 
This is not a command for some higher class of Christian. There is no higher class of Christian. I mean, there's levels of maturity, no doubt, right? Some are less mature and more mature and so forth. But there's no... There's no higher class of Christian like they are the super gifted ones and then you get part of the Holy Spirit or like the, you know, whatever and others just get a little smidge of the Holy Spirit. No, this is for every Christian. Again, for every blood-bought, spirit-born Christian. The whole point of you being gifted is for you to dispense the grace of God to those around you. And I hope this exhilarates you. Not just, I hope you're challenged too. I'm challenged. I hope you're challenged. But I hope it also exhilarates you. Maybe some just have thought, you know, what do I have to give? You have God's grace to give. (laughs) There's nothing better you could give. I hope this exhilarates you. Remember, Paul calls the gifts of the Holy Spirit manifestations of the Spirit. Think about that. Manifestations of the Spirit. When one faithfully uses their gift to serve others, dispensing God's grace, God, the Holy Spirit, is manifested. That's what's happening. You remember when Jesus said, um, you know, the wind blows and you see its effects, but you don't know where it came from, where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. What he's saying is, the wind blows, you, you know, you see its effects. You see the effects of the wind, but you don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. When you see someone thriving and serving others with the giftings God has given them, you see the effect of the Spirit of God in our midst, working, blessing, giving grace through ordinary people like me and you. Now, I want to I just take a moment and connect something for, for you real quick. It, the very first word of verse 10 says, as. And I think we're to see that, that Peter's making a comparison here. He says, as each has received a gift. How have you and I received a gift, these gifts, freely, generously from the hand of God, right? He's given them generously to us as each has received a gift, we're to use it or employ it. So how should we employ the gifts, that, the giftings that God has given us freely and generously? We should use them freely and generously. Holding nothing back. I mean, of course, using wisdom, right? All of, there, not a lack of wisdom. We want to do it in a way that's loving and so forth, right? Prizing love, all of that. But we should seek to use it, use our giftings freely, generously, holding nothing back so that it reflects the grace and generosity of God. You don't want to serve in such a way that it reflects poorly upon God. Stingy with your efforts and your energy and your service reflects poorly upon God. Generosity abounding 
in good works, poured out in service to one another, reflects well upon God. Jesus, when he sent his disciples out to preach the kingdom, he sent his disciples out, Matthew 10, I think, I wrote it down here. Matthew 10. He said, go preach the kingdom. Say the kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. And then he says this, freely you have received. Freely give. Give freely. Generously. And you can see how when more and more when we are more and more yielded to the Spirit and His work among us in this way, the presence of God becomes more and more evident and known and felt. It's not like um, one person is using His gift and everyone else is just purely an audience. That, like, that's not what the church is. Preaching the Word is massively important but we are to use the gifts that God has given us to manifest the Spirit more and more among us for his glory and service to one another. A sense that God is really among us will be realized more as we are faithful and obedient to this command. Now quickly, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but, but Peter gives two broad categories of gifts. You know, if you, if you remember reading through Romans 12, or when we taught just a couple years ago on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, Paul goes through a more exhaustive list where he gives specific gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Peter just gives two broad categories. And he, he lumps the gifts, I think, this, my understanding, is he lumps the gifts into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And so let, let's just look at these quickly, okay? Um, he says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever speaks, not just preaching before, the con- before congregation, but all manner of speech activity. So that would, that would be evangelism, teaching, apologetics, prophesying, singing, sharing words of praise, sharing testimony, all for the benefit of the church. All manner of speaking, I think, is included here. Whoever speaks should speak as one who is speaking oracles of God. I think what Peter means here is not just that we get up and, I mean, the Bible we understand is infallible, it's inerrant. We are not, okay? I don't think Peter's saying if anyone speaks, then just get up and read Bible verses. Like that's all you can do. I think what Peter means here is that we, whoever speaks and, and presumes to speak on behalf of God, should speak with seriousness and reverence and carefulness and solemnity and deliberate purpose. And I would suggest with an open Bible, not just reading Bible verses, but seeking to say things that are true according to Scripture. Honestly, we should seek to speak in such a way that, in a way that we would speak if we really believed we were speaking for God. We would not be flippant. We wouldn't be casual, just kind of just throw stuff out. No, we would seek 
to be careful and reverent and speak in that manner. Really, we should seek to speak the same way in which the prophets of old would have spoken. Not because our words are infallible at all. The scripture is infallible. Our words are not. But because we are seeking to speak for God. To be honest, I, I think much of what is presently called the gift of prophecy doesn't often meet that standard. Much, many people with large platforms over the last several months have, lar- I mean like thousands, hundreds of thousands, even perhaps millions have used their platform to make loud boasts of what God supposedly told them. And in many cases, it fell to the ground. And you know what they did, many of them? They just kept doing it. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. We should be careful when we presume to speak for God. Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah the prophet is denouncing the false prophets and so forth. And verse 28, he says this. He says, let the one who has a dream tell the dream. Kind of like, whatever, just say it. (laughs) But let him who has my word speak it faithfully. And we should seek to speak on behalf of God faithfully with reverence and carefulness. And if we're not sure God is communicating something to us to share with others, then we don't say it. I think much of what is called preaching today doesn't meet the standard either. The kind of twisting with which people approach God's word just to say whatever they kind of want it to say. Or a verse here, a verse there, a verse here and kind of develop this whole theology from verses taken out of context. Whoever speaks should speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Then Peter says, let the one who serves serve by the strength that God supplies. Literally, it says serve out of the strength that God supplies. So by the strength or out of the strength that God supplies. So our serving should be serving out of the strength of another. Now that requires a miracle, (laughs) right? How do you serve in the strength of someone else? We serve in complete reliance upon God, seeking his help and expecting him to strengthen us so that we can serve others. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, tells us, told a story, a true story, of a Welsh preacher, a preacher in Wales who was gonna preach at a church and uh, the congregation gathered and I don't know if they sang songs or whatever, but you know, the, the beginning of the service started and it came time for the preacher to get up and preach and, and he wasn't there. And so they waited a little bit longer. He, never, he didn't show. So they told this young man, go fetch him. He's at this house. And so the, the, this young man went to fetch the preacher and as he got close to the house, he's gonna go to the door and knock, he heard this man out back behind the house speaking. 
So he made his way around the house and he heard this preacher saying this. He said, I will not go preach to those people unless you're with me. The young man didn't put two and two together, so he made his way around the house. He saw this preacher on the ground pleading with God. Like Moses. Remember how Moses did that? He says, if you're not going to go with us, I ain't going. Now, you might say, that's, eh, you guy's going a little bit overboard, relying upon a feeling that God is with him. Isn't God always with us? Maybe he's going, maybe that's a little overboard. Maybe. What I take from that is that this man was desperate for the touch of God, for the empowerment of God to be upon his service. This man was desperate and blood earnest in his reliance upon God. Now, I would love to hear how his sermon was that day. I don't know how his sermon was, so I don't know if God showed up or not, but we must rely completely on God, which leads to the ultimate purpose of, of the gifts. Why should we seek to speak in such a manner, right? Speak oracles of God. Why should we seek to serve in such a manner where we're serious about serving in God's strength? Well, verse 11 tells us. It says, so that, and that, the word so that means this is the purpose, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. For the glory of God. What is the ultimate aim of the gifts? Well, I mean, the, the penultimate, the, um, not the ultimate, but underneath that is to bless the church. The ultimate aim is the glory of God. We should seek to speak and or serve in such a way that it points to God. That it magnifies the riches of God, shows the beauty of God, reflects the kindness of God, reveals the wonder of God's love, spreads the riches of God's grace. In the use of the giftings God has given you, it should be your deepest desire that whoever is the recipient, whether it's an individual or a group of people, that whoever the recipient is, they would say, man, God is good. Man, God is gracious. Man, God's love is so precious. His kindness toward me. It's fitting, I think, that this passage ends with doxology, praise, right? Verse 11 ends by saying this, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So if we want to be faithful to the statement, we will earnestly desire spiritual gifts not quenching the Holy Spirit's work among us, we will strive to exercise the gifts in the way that emphasizes the way of love and builds up the church most. If we want to be faithful to that, what should we do? Well, I just have, just very briefly, four things that I, I would encourage you to do. Application. And I didn't mean for this. Kind, I mean, I, I didn't in, initially. 
I was like, oh, we could do this. All right, I could use this word. All right, so it's an acronym, okay? And the, it's four, four letters, SOAR, S-O-A-R. So first, what should we do? We should seek. We should seek. We with zeal should seek the Holy Spirit and his gifts for the good of his body. With zeal, we should seek the Holy Spirit and his gifts for the good of the body and for the glory of God. Jesus, in his teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 11, he says this, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Let me just stop there. When Jesus says ask, and it will be given to you, it, literally, in, the, in the original language, it's ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. For to everyone who asks, receives, or asks and keeps asking, receives. To the one who seeks, he finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be open to you. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give? Do you know what it says next? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit, which in this life, for you and I, is the best thing, right? I mean, that what... what we want more of him, right? Because we want to be more holy like Christ or the Holy Spirit. helps. We want to know the scriptures better. The Holy Spirit helps us with that. We want to be empowered to serve others. The Holy Spirit gives us that ability. So we should seek with great zeal the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Second, openness. So seek, second, openness. Be open to how the Spirit might empower you, how the, how the Spirit might enable you, how the Spirit might gift you for others. Or if you know, if you're like, I think God has given me a gift of mercy and I just want to come alongside people or he's given me the ability to just come alongside and encourage people with a note or a scripture that's just timely and so forth. Then be open and to how God might direct you with that. Third, act. Okay, so seek openness. Third is act. In faith, step out and act. Speak the word of encouragement. Serve. Write that note. Go mow that person's yard. Right, make that meal and bring it over and bless someone. Now you might say, well, yeah, but all I'm doing, and then you have your list. It doesn't seem that important, right? I'm making a meal. I'm writing a card. I'm clearing a driveway. I'm mowing a lawn. And I just would say, are you serious? That's all you're doing? Don't diminish how God wants to spread his grace and manifest his spirit through you. You have no idea. Sometimes that seemingly insignificant 
note. John Hannigan shared a couple times at men's study that a a guy has just dropped him a text. Probably wasn't thinking much of it. Hey, brother, how you doing? I'm praying for you. Love you. See you soon. And it brought such encouragement to him. Don't diminish how God wants to, how, how he wants to use you, how he wants to spread grace generously through you. And finally, rely. So, seek, openness, be open, act, and rely. In stepping out in faith, rely completely upon God and his help. Consciously ask. I mean, that's what I think part of it is, just consciously, okay, God, I'm going to do this. And you know what? You're making a meal. Consciously ask, Lord, I pray that this would bless their socks off. I mean, because it tastes delicious, of course. But even more spiritually, because it manifests the love and grace of their Father. Consciously ask and expect the help and blessing and strength of God so that your aim, remember your aim, whether you're writing a card, you're teaching to a group of people, you're making a meal, you are sharing just something you feel like the Lord gave you for someone, praying for someone, whatever it is, sharing a testimony up here, whatever it is, remember the goal, the ultimate aim is you want people to say, God is amazing. He is glorious. So, seek, be open, act, and rely. And may God be glorified as the Spirit is manifested more and more in our midst. Let's pray.